Paul and Silas were in jail and they were moaning and groaning and woe is me and all that they were doing there in the jail cell, right? Now, what were they doing? Singing and praying, right? They're singing and praying. And other prisoners were listening as well, right? And then there was an earthquake and the foundations of the prison shook and the cell doors flung open and the prisoner's fetters opened and fell off. And the prison guard apparently was asleep and woke up and he found all the cell doors open. So he assumed the prisoners escaped and so his next move was to do what? He went to kill himself, right? He drew his sword and he was going to to kill himself. And so then Paul, he yelled out, and told him that all the prisoners were still there. So the guard called for lights, and he he rushed in, and he fell before Paul and Silas. And then he took them out and asked them, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And how did they answer him? You need to keep the law and become Jewish. No, you need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. And then we talked a bit about that last time with the household and seeing the household uh, baptized as well. Uh, I think when Paul says this here, as I said last time, that this is prophetically speaking, you and your household, they will be saved. Um, uh, but it appears that they, again, they clearly were, uh, as the testimony of what we read, as the jailer took Paul and Silas to his home, And Paul preached the word to the household. And so again, the jailer and his household were baptized. Who Paul preached to were baptized, right? And and so again, we can assume that the the whole household was indeed saved. And remember though, we first mentioned about the whole idea of the household when we saw whose salvation? Before the jailer. Before this incident, Lydia, right. We saw that she was baptized in her household as well. And so we, we said, okay, you know, what is that? Uh, you know, is our, does this give credence to our, our Presbyterian brothers and sisters? Uh, though we love them, we do disagree with them on this, this aspect, right? Um, but I think, though, again, we're not really told much detail there when it comes to Lydia and her household. We're given more detail when it comes to the jailer's household. Again, that Paul preached to the household, right? And they believed. And then two, everywhere else that we see an example of baptism, what's the pattern? They first believe and then are baptized. And so I, I think we bring all of those things to give us understanding of what happened with Lydia, right? We, we interpret the clearer passages, or we interpret the less clear passages with the clearer passages, Right? And so we can assume then that Lydia and her household also came to trust in the Lord. And so they were both baptized. Um, so any, any further questions or thought on those things? Yeah, so often, so the, the, he's the head of the house, leading the house, and so, and, and too, it was very common that the idea was that when the head of the house was saved, that the family followed. 
Um, but again, too, with the family that Paul, it also says Paul preached the word of the Lord to the household. And then they were, they were baptized. So those he preached to were baptized. When you say prophetic, that it's prophetic, are you meaning that as he's talking to the jailer at that moment? Correct, yes. Prophetically saying that your household will believe. Right. Which was fulfilled when he preached to the household and believed, and then they were baptized. Correct, yes. Okay, so that clear up? <laughs> That's okay, thanks. Yes, that, that was what I was trying to get across. Yes, okay. Yeah, I, I think there's something to the fact that he's the head of the home, but I think also, too, the story's emphasis is on him as well. Um, and the house rejoices, hey, we, we came to know as, as we followed you and your example. And, and so, yeah. So I, there, I think there could be, I, I don't think we know for sure, but I think there can be a number of answers to that that are at least possibilities. Yeah. All right, anything else? All right, let's, let's read the passage here then. Chapter 16, verses 35 to 40. But when it was day, the magistrate sent the police, saying, Let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia, and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. So... This passage is, is an interesting one, um, especially, I would argue, since COVID, this is an interesting one, um, at least for us to really think about. Uh, think about maybe more deeply than we maybe would have before COVID. Maybe we kind of would have just skimmed over it a lot faster. Um, but what I think we can think about with this as we see it is, is the debate that there has been then on when is a Christian to practice civil disobedience. Some would say, never. That you never practice civil disobedience. Um, and, okay, uh, no matter what the hard times are, and the, they would often refer to Romans 13. Some would kick back against that and say, well, Romans 13, there is more context that you have to look at and say, okay, what's the circumstances are all those things? And you've got to dig deeper than just giving a blanket statement that, that Romans 13 means you never uh, practice civil disobedience. That's, that's some of the debate there. Unless, though, even those who would say Romans 13 says we never practice civil disobedience unless the gospel tells you, or the, yeah, the government tells you you can't share the gospel. Well, I have to share the gospel, so, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep doing that. Okay, why, though? Why is the gospel, then, that one area? Well, some, then, would point back to earlier in Acts, right? When we saw John and Peter in prison, 
and the Sanhedrin told them to stop preaching in the name of Jesus. And what was their answer? Okay. You determine for yourself, should we obey God rather than man? And obviously the implication was, yeah, we're going we're gonna to obey God. Right? And so that's, that's usually upheld as one of the examples of civil disobedience in Scripture. And so that's, that's the example we have. Therefore, that's telling us that's when we practice civil disobedience. Uh, but then others, too, would, would point to that, but also then point to Daniel chapter 3. Who's in Daniel chapter 3 that practices civil disobedience? All right, yeah, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What do they do? Or not do? <laughs> I guess that's really what it is. They would not bow down to the idol. Right. Um, and so see if the government is going to tell you to worship false gods and tell you can't worship the one true God, um, then don't do it. And, and these are usually the two that are held up as examples. Um, but are there other examples of civil disobedience in Scripture? Is there another example, just even right there in Daniel? Daniel himself, what happened there? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, you have, yeah, Daniel, that's, that's how he ends up in the lion's den, right? The, the, the infamous Sunday school story. Um, yeah. Um, and so Daniel wasn't like, oh, well, I mean, Romans 13, right? Gotta, gotta do that. I mean, not that Romans 13 was written yet, but still. Uh, as you said, the king tried to restrict his worship on one hand, uh, and then also tried to direct that worship. You, you must pray to me only, right? And what does Daniel do? He immediately goes, he opens up his window, and he faces Jerusalem, and he prays to God, right? That, that's what he does. And the charlatans that convinced Darius to do this, to, to make this decree... Their whole goal was to get Daniel in trouble. So there must have been something about Daniel that let them know that Daniel is going to first disobey the king before he disobeys his God. Right? Because they knew Daniel wasn't going to follow this decree. That was their whole goal. They wanted him in trouble. Any other examples? Okay. So she, when she... Bursts into the, the throne room? Okay, yeah. She wasn't, she's supposed to wait for permission for the king to let you in, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, that's, that's a good example. Uh, the, the other specific example I had was the midwives in Exodus were told to kill and dispose of the, the, boy, the males that are born to the Hebrews. And they, they would not do it, and God blessed them for it. Uh, so there are, there are plenty of examples, really, when you look through Scripture and see. Uh, and we can look at each of them and say, okay, what's going on there? What's going on there? And, and it does not help to say, okay, well, it's only those specific examples. So when we have an example that fits that specific thing, no, I think we need to build principles off of those things. That, that's really how we we read through Scripture and we see the principle and then, okay, how does this apply? Now, what was going on there? What was the author's original intent? And then through that, we understand then how it applies to us. Um, you remember when we went through hermeneutics and how to study the Bible on yourself and how we, we build that gap in, in, in making a, a principle and what's there. 
Um, and, and so that's important as we understand and think about these things. There are those who tell us, and this has become a more, as since, especially since COVID, this has become a more popular thought. There are those who tell us that if the government is evil, is a tyrant, is immoral, then you never have to obey them no matter what. Um, because it's, it's, you're obeying a tyrant then. Is that what the Bible tells us about civil disobedience? No. Uh, I think that that's clearly wrong. As you do look at Romans 13, and, I mean, who, who was the government? Who, who was Caesar in, Romans, in Rome when Paul writes Romans 13? Nero. You don't get much more corrupt and evil than Nero, right? And then we see in 1 Peter 2 and Titus 3, all of these things tell us that the attitude of the believer should be as submissive. Uh, we should actually be known as a submissive people. That wherever we can submit, we submit. And so even when there's times when we can't submit because we're being called to violate God's word, even then we still submit everywhere we can. We are to be known as a people of submission. We're to be known as good citizens. Because again, the world should be able to look at us and there's, a, there's an adorning of the doctrines of God in how we live our lives uh, that, that should demonstrate uh, what it means to follow Christ to the world around us. Um, and so, yes, there are authorities, and God put those authorities in place for his purposes. The question is, what happens, though, when that authority steps out of the line that God put them in, and the function God gave to them, and that sphere of authority, when they step outside that sphere, then what? And when do we, when do we practice, then, civil disobedience? And we'll see how much time we have to see how far we can get into uh, the question and working through when do we practice that. But, but we come to then this scenario in Acts, which is another example of civil disobedience. And so helpful, hopefully, though, even just thinking about this passage will help us to, to think, to, to at least work at how should we be thinking about this. Whether or not we come to definite conclusions right now, which I don't think we're going to. <laughs> but uh, hopefully, at least, it helps us to be thinking about it and, and not assuming that the position I've always had necessarily is, is the right one. Uh, what we need to do is, is take the position we've had and then set it aside, look to the Scriptures, and then once we've pulled out what the Scriptures say, then come back to that presupposition we had and say, okay, does that, does that match up with what the Scriptures say? I mean, that's, that's what we always need to do. So as we come to this passage uh, and, and we begin, uh, I think we can assume then that as it starts off, uh, that the jailer brought Paul and Silas back to the prison. And so then we see that in the morning, the magistrates, the, uh, they, uh, the, having thrown Paul and Silas into prison, they decided to let them go. Uh, we're not told exactly why, but they do this. And in case we might think that this was the end of the matter, uh, Paul isn't going to let it be that easy. <laughs> and so the police come with the news of the magistrate, and they tell the jailer, who has, again, like I said, brought, probably brought back Silas and Paul to the jail, 
And they tell Paul, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. And I would assume the jailer's like, well, listen, I mean, I just became buddy-buddy with, this, with these guys, and, and we've we got a bond here in my new faith. Uh, I think they're, they're going to they're gonna come out. They're going to they're gonna do what they need to do, and, and that's going to be the end of it, and uh, they're going to go on their way. But again, Paul has a different thought. Verse 37, But Paul said to them, They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison, and do they now throw us out secretly? No. Wait a minute, Paul. (laughs) You're not the authority. What gives you the right to say no? And then he has demands. Not only to say, I ain't leaving, but this is what I demand of you. Let them come themselves and take us out. You want me out? You come and take me. This is Paul's attitude. And look, uh, you know, we talk about the different levels of authority and and who... uh, There are three levels of authority here. You have the magistrate, you have the police, and you have the jailer, all telling Paul, you need to go. And he says, no. Now, let's think through. What is the issue for Paul? that he's determined they ain't leaving. Okay, he brings that up, but I think, I think he brings that up. We'll get back to that. <laughs> what else is here? Okay. They, they've beaten us openly, uncondemned. So what does, that, that, what does that imply about the beating? Okay. This wasn't... Okay, yeah. Right? They are, they are denied justice. So that, that is at the forefront of Paul's complaint here. Um, was the trial fair? Remember when we went through the trial? Was that a fair trial? They have opportunity to defend themselves. Uh, were the um, were the charges legit? No, remember, it was not at all. And then, without them being able to show their innocence or given the opportunity, the magistrate uh, called for them to be beaten. And then you see the mob uh, mentality of, of everyone around them. And then they're thrown into jail. And now the magistrate wants to just quietly let them go with the innocents left publicly unresolved. They were publicly condemned to being beaten and imprisoned, but now there's, there's no resolution to this, uh, their verdict. And if the magistrate could do it to them, who else could the magistrate do it to? Do you think Paul has any concerns for anyone else there in Philippi? Okay. There are those who are new believers there uh, in Philippi. And what will happen when these new converts there are dragged before the magistrates on bogus charges because some Romans didn't like the exclusivity of their gospel message? They didn't leave room for the Roman gods. So then they charge these new believers with advocating customs that are not lawful for Romans to accept or practice, just as they charge Paul and Silas with. 
No, this is wrong. It's outside the God-given place of government, and their injustice has to be made known to give some protection. And plus, again, the whole thing is just unjust to begin with. Now, it's at this point, then, that we see then Paul pull his ace of spades from his sleeve. Right? He, he, he has this trump card, which is what? His Roman citizenship. Him and Silas's. Now, there, there's some debate on why Paul waits until now to pull this card. Some say it's strategic, that he waits till now. Others say that he didn't really have the chance until now, which, I mean, as we read the trial, again, there was a mob mentality that happened there, and they weren't given a chance to obviously defend themselves. And so when the mob comes up, you know, was he really able to, to say that, hey, wait a minute, I'm, I'm a Roman citizen? Um, and so that, that very well could be the case. They didn't have the chance to do it. It would seem at this point, though, he, he would have had an opportunity at some point. They were in prison singing and all these other things, right? Uh, it seems like at some point he could have brought up this Roman citizenship, but still he waits until now. And so that, that does raise a few questions. Uh, any thoughts on what that might be? Why would he wait till now? Okay. Okay, God has, either way, God has his timing, right? Likely, this is to avoid, to not avoid persecution by his citizenship because if he, if he uses something he has to avoid persecution, then, then he's not going to be united with his brethren there in Philippi who would be willing to suffer for Christ. And as we see also how this plays out, they would have also been left exposed to persecution, Paul, waiting till now, has the opportunity then to reveal the injustice of the magistrate that would give at least some buffer between them and the new believers there in Philippi. So they're not fully uh, exposed to this persecution. But why is the citizenship so important? Why is this a trump card? Okay. Right. And that, that's exactly it. So Roman citizenship came with a few perks. And like you said, they, they were not supposed to be beaten like they were or scourged. Uh, they were to have been given due process. So if they are going to be beaten, you need to show that they are indeed guilty. And they have the right to appeal to Caesar, right? And... Um, the charge, too, had to be of a certain degree. If you, if you are going to beat them, it had to be something worth beating. Um, and so you had to show those things. And so again, this, this Roman citizenship came with some perks, and it was important. And all of that was thrown out the window, right? Uh, they didn't have any of those opportunities. They were not shown to be guilty. So this trial was not fair by any means. And again, it shows, too, because there was no inquirement of whether or not these men were even Roman citizens from the beginning, right? That, that would have been a smart thing to do. So Paul, at the very least, is owed a public apology. And not because of pride, not because I deserve this, but again, because there's an injustice and there's protection for others, Paul is demanding something. And so then we read in verse 38, the police reported these words to the magistrates, 
And they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. Oh, man. See, there's a huge risk here. If it was found out by the upper authorities that these magistrates had these Roman citizens beaten without a full trial, and so they didn't protect Roman citizens, uh, they could be removed from their position to never be given a position of authority ever again. And so there's a risk then to them. So again, on one hand, Paul refuses to leave based on uh, the rights of the law that he was supposed to be shown as a Roman citizen. And yet, again, he was beaten in the unfair trial. Also, for the sake of others, he wants his innocence to be made known a matter of public record. He wanted to be publicly brought out of the prison. And again, to put a buffer between those who may incur the same kind of injustice. And two, it's for sure. We know from other passages, different things, Paul did have a Roman citizenship, and then apparently, too, so did Silas. Um, one would not make a claim to this unless they could prove it, because if the claims were proven to be false, that could lead to immediate execution. If you claimed to have Roman citizenship but had no proof, or it was proven that you didn't, you could die. So some carried a wooden plaque. Uh, I guess you would compare it to like a card <laughs> that they have. They have an ID card. Uh, but that would probably be more for someone who paid for their Roman citizenship. Paul didn't pay for his. Paul was born a Roman citizenship. And so what Paul probably had on him was something that amounted to more like a birth certificate, showing that he, he was a Roman citizen from birth. And the powers that be, they, they came and, <laughs> I mean, what else were they going to do, right? They're, they're in a tight spot. So they come and they, they, they make good on what Paul wants. So they apologize. They brought Paul and Silas out of the prison. And probably for the sake of peace in the city, they asked them to leave. And they graciously do after <laughs> they visit their, their host there in Philippi, Lydia. And then they saw the other brothers that are there in the city and encouraged them. Then they left. So again, this is another example of civil disobedience. And I think it's, it is a piece of the puzzle as we ask and say, is there ever a time when we should practice civil disobedience, and under what circumstances do we practice them? Uh, again, I want to say, especially because it is being made more and more popular today, uh, there is a limited circumstance, uh, amount of circumstances in which we would practice civil disobedience. We are to be as modeled citizens as we possibly can be for the glory of Christ, wherever he has put us. Wherever we can submit, we submit. Even when there's areas we can't, we still always submit in the areas we can. We are to be known as a submissive people. That's, that's vital and important. But, again, I think, at least COVID has shown that we need to think this through. I think here in America, we've assumed a lot of things. We haven't felt pressure from the government. Uh, we've actually been... Um, what's the word I want? We've gotten perks, really. At some point, those things are going away all the more and quickly now, but there was a point where there, there were perks, really, to, to belonging to a church and, and professing faith in Christ and all of those things. And so we really didn't have to think through those things, and I think a lot of people, COVID showed that we, we made a lot of assumptions uh, about 
civil disobedience in the Christian. Um, and, and so I think that's one good thing that has happened. Uh, we have been forced to think more deeply on the Scriptures, and, and some of our assumptions have been revealed. So am I assuming what's true, or just, you know, just because I haven't been forced really to think it through, or do I really know what the Scriptures say about this? And so I, I think that's important for us, and, and we should learn that we need to know that and do that for every area, uh, no matter what it is. Uh, am I assuming anything? Are my upbringing and, and my experiences and all of these other things causing me to assume this is what's true, or do I know it from the study of God's Word? Um, th- that should be the case for everything. Let me at least ask this as we, we think about it. Is, is the idea of civil disobedience and when we practice it, when we, is that always going to be black and white? No, it's not. Um, do you think it, there's going to be times where true brothers and sisters in Christ who in their heart are devoted to wanting to know the Scriptures and obey the Scriptures, do you think there's going to be disagreements between brothers and sisters in Christ in different areas of when we should practice civil disobedience? Yeah, there is. And so therefore, we should divide and beat each other on the head over these things and be really angry and and throw each other out because we may have some disagreements in some of these gray areas. No. Sadly, we see some of that. Um... You know, as we look at COVID and churches that closed and stayed closed for so long or, or closed and then eventually opened up or then there was churches that never closed. Um, and again, I think this is something, these, these are experiences and things we hadn't gone through before. We hadn't been forced to think through before. And so now we're suddenly forced to think about it, but it's kind of too late in one sense. And we're kind of, uh, what do we do? Right? And, uh, and there's been some, some harsh things said about brothers, and, and, and I would even say in some cases slander uh, towards other brothers and, and elders in different churches that made different decisions than another church made. And, and I think we need to be gracious with each other. Is there a right and wrong? Yes, there's always a right and wrong. Um, but we need to be gracious with each other and, and help each other work through these things instead of just kind of attacking each other on these things that, that, that are difficult. Um, again, it's not always going to be, and it hasn't been, black and white. And so we got we got to work through these things and learn from it and grow. Okay, I've learned. Now what's going to happen next time? Am I in a better position now for when this happens again? I, and I hope we'd be able to say, yes, we are. Uh, and so we'll be more ready this time uh, to have a more immediate decision and be able to think more clearly the next time. But, but let's be gracious with each other as we work through what happened before. Make sense? Any, any thought on that further? Okay. So, at least we're going to leave it at, there are times where we clearly do practice civil disobedience. Um, To some degree, most people believe that altogether, even if there are those who say there's only two examples and that's, that's the only time we do that. Uh, I think, no, there's more, but, but at least we know there is, there is times that we got to think that through.
Yeah, uh, for sure. Uh, I think one thing I know I'm too often guilty of is acting too quickly instead of first going to prayer and uh, you know, bringing that examination before the Lord and asking Him to reveal the motives of my heart and all of those things, right? And asking for wisdom. So yeah, yeah, uh, good, good, good point. Yeah. Anything else? Mm-hmm. And just something that stuck out on me in verse 40, the last part where it says, And when they had seen the brethren, they comforted them and departed. So I had a quick thought went through my mind, well, who comforted who? You know, when you think of the circumstances of Paul, or he had been in Rome, or he had been, that when they, they seen their brethren, that the brethren would be comforting them. But it's the other way around. Even though Paul had just do that, he was still strong in the Lord to be able to comfort the brethren. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's that is a really good point and something to, to think on. You know, especially as we you know we said before when they were sitting in prison again, they weren't just woe is me and why me and all of these things. No, they were focused on the Lord. They were praying. They're singing and and then look what they can do when they come out of that. Yeah, yeah. Good, good, good point. Good, good observation. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think we I think we can say that that's definitely part of that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. 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 Well, we are out of time at this point. But that was a good, good discussion, good thought, and maybe at some point too we can come back to this, this, this line of thinking. But with that, let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for our time together. And uh, uh, Father, I, I, again, I, I pray that you know, as we think about the idea of civil disobedience, that, that Lord, it would actually cause us to think about every area that we hold. What, what do we think? What do we believe? Why do we believe it? Is it because of our assumptions, our experiences, or whatever it may be, or it's because we have dug into your word and found from your word, this is what you have said, and this is what you've put forward. So, Father, I pray that our, uh, we're all the more recognizing that we need to come first to your word and set aside our, our pre-understandings, our presuppositions, to let your word speak for itself, uh, Lord, and then submit to that, and let that shape and bind our our opinions and our, our understandings and beliefs as we submit to what you have said. And so, Lord, we're grateful for your word. We're grateful for the gift that it is and, and pray that our, our desire is all the more to be in your word, to know your word, that we may know you more and live for you. I thank you. Amen.